1: Hello friends, and welcome to Lauer After Hours. I'm your host at Beef Count. A tradition unlike any other was truly that here in 2020. A tournament that typically announces the birth of spring was contested in the throes of autumn. Azalea, Pink Dogwood, and Magnolia showcased the beauty that is Augusta National. Carolina Cherry, Yellow Jasmine, and Holly welcomed us back with open arms. As they welcomed us, allow me to welcome you to this very special episode. I'm joined tonight by Lower Rangers, Jeff, Mayor Matt Santini, Aaron in Memphis, Sui winner, Andrew Schreeder, and very special guest tonight, Izzy Gutierrez.
0: Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm very relaxed now. Uh, <laughs>
2: yeah, that was so <laughs> soothing. My God.
1: Yeah, guys, w- welcome in. Yeah, that was my uh, my limited fake Jim Nance. Uh, I uh, I hope I, I nailed it with the hello, friends.
2: It wasn't yeah, even it that is. limited.
0: No, it was pretty good. I actually, though, I've been on the other end all weekend. Has anybody else been singing uh, Chris Vernon's uh, uh, Guess What's Going On at Augusta?
3: You guys ever see that? Yes. <laughs> yes.
2: Oh, my God. I watched it three <laughs> times on Friday, and I hated myself for it every time.
3: Uh-uh. I love Chris Vernon so much. It was so good. It was so good. Say amen at the Kona. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, hey, uh, welcome in, guys. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us tonight. And, uh, you know, we're we're going to get started here. 2020, man. Uh, Dustin Johnson, DJ, take it at home. 20 under. Uh, I mean, that, that ties a major championship record for uh, score to par, which is – Pretty incredible how he absolutely dominated, dominated Augusta. Um, Jeff, what, what are your thoughts on, on this year's tournament?
2: Well, you know, um, we, we kind of briefly touched on this while we were just, you know, uh, chatting about it in our group chat a couple of days ago and over the last weekend. But it was an amazing, impressive performance by DJ, and it did kind of make it a little bit boring towards the end if I'm being totally honest, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, like that being said, my main takeaway from it was that that dude has gone through some stuff and CNN after the fact, like, I don't know if you saw the, if you guys saw the interview, I'm not sure remember who did the interview, but um, after he'd got the green jacket back out on the green and he like, couldn't keep it he couldn't keep it together. He couldn't get his words out. And I don't see DJ as that guy. I kind of see him as, you know, like kind of just big kind of aloof jock guy. And I don't know. So I, that that was kind of my main takeaway was like, uh, oh, I'm happy for him, dude. And I know that's a lame takeaway, but in that there wasn't like a crazy bit of drama towards the end, that's kind of like, that was the thing that I, I, stuck with me from the weekend, I guess.
1: Well, I mean, any interview that I've ever seen with him, he's really a man of few words. Um, Mayor, what, what, uh, what, what do you got there?
4: Well, and I don't want to go too hard back at Jeff, but you know that the, the truth—I the, agree with you—that Saturday, if you ever played Tiger Woods golf and you ever got really good at it, you know that's what the Saturday round looked like to me. That he shot it was just like—I mean, it was just that was the boring round. But you know, he was what—he had two bogeys in the first five it's holes, and, and and for a little while. Uh, Sanjay M. I mean there was it was a one-stroke lead now he did come back and I think birdie the sixth and from there he took off but there was a little bit of drama early but he again when he gets locked in um obviously I mean there's there's nobody that can touch him there are two other guys that shot four under today but he um it, again I, I agree with you that the story of redemption perseverance um is is a is a good story and uh it's I'm glad to see him win and Uh, He does seem like kind of a button-up guy, but I think he he might have a little bit of a Belichick kind of presence to where the public persona is a little bit uh, different than what he is behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah. And I feel sorry for him. He's got to go home to Paulina. (laughs)
2: It's a hard-knock
1: life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Izzy, jump on in there.
0: Yeah, so I'm – in 2015, I was 100% certain that he was going to spiral out and not – not recover um because i mean you're looking at everything like first of all he's uh the type of uh the the aura that is dustin johnson is of sort of uh uh a rich frat boy right it's very it's very um very confident um you know and it would be of a person especially with his abilities with his physical abilities right because he's bigger and Jesus can hit the hell out of the ball. It seemed like things could come easy to him, right? And so, facing all this temptation, having you know Paulina Gretzky, having uh, you know this, living this life—I think it was in, was in Scottsdale and Phoenix. I don't know where he was all, we, all the time on boats everywhere and doing flips off of boats and just looking um, like he was enjoying life way too much. And then he had the positive drug test, which they had the suspension and everything else. And um, he his answer was. Not to go to rehab, right? He didn't go to rehab. He just got life coaches around him. And to me, at the time, I thought, oh, well, that's just denial, right? He just doesn't want to make the leap and say he's got a full problem. And he said, well, the reason perhaps I tested positive for drugs is because I drink too much. And when I drink too much, I let bad things happen. And so now I'm just not going to do it. That was his thing. He said, I'm just not gonna do it anymore. And I didn't believe that. <laughs> I didn't believe that was gonna happen to him. And so, you know, fast forward five years and he looks as calm as ever. Um, you know, he's he just it's as if you know, all that stuff worked, and you know, a skeptic like me gets slapped in the face. Um, and I'm happy for him, very happy for him, because in terms of like the guys who you thought could could follow or at least try to mimic the type of run tiger was on dj just has the physical gifts that says hey if if he just focuses and plays that way um he can do that over and over and over again and so um i hope this is a sign of that happening um but he's already had a hell of a career as it is and this recovery in itself is just it's pretty damn impressive
1: yeah, yeah, 100%. Um we're going to take a pause for just a moment and guys, we're going to welcome in uh the one of the hosts of ESPN's number one BBBBBBB podcast, Mr. Charlie Hume. Charlie, welcome. Welcome to the gang.
5: Thank you. Uh my deep deep apologies uh for being late to this podcast. It, for for once in my life I did not put something in my Google calendar and here we are. It's biting me in the ass. So I'm I'm so sorry, but I'm glad to be here and and I'm glad I entered uh, Upon the part of Izzy's answer, where I assume he was referring to the fact that uh, DJ, at one point in his career, said, "Hey, I'm not going to hit a draw anymore. I'm going to hit a cut," and he just did it, and that's that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. That's not, not, not even
0: close to what no. I was saying. And you can, no. by the way, you can go ahead and and just admit that you were actually uh, celebrating
2: with Dustin Johnson, and that's why you were late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as, as he comes in with his master's hat on. If this I'm is not a
5: point hat, but this is. Oh, big,
2: my apologies. You know, no, no, wow. no, big deal. No big deal. No big deal.
5: I, th- I, I, that was my guess based on what you were saying that he just d- decided five years ago, because that was, that's another part of the Dustin Johnson folklore that I enjoy so much is that this guy is just like, uh, he has such a feel for the game that he just at one point he was hitting a draw his entire life. Then he's decided at one point, you know Hey, I'm going to start hitting a cut. I'm gonna start hitting a fade. And they asked him, Hey, you know, what'd you do? How'd you retool the swing? He said, I just, I just start hitting a fade one day. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wish it was that simple for all the rest of us, Dustin. That's amazing. <laughs>
3: Aaron, uh, sorry, you caught me off guard there. Uh, I was happy for him. I mean, like everybody else has said, every, every past few seasons, he's been the best golfer in the world besides on Sundays of majors. And so I was really worried when this Sunday round started that it was going to go about like the last he did. But he, he he's, I mean, looked about as calm as he's – I can remember him looking – I mean, obviously, I'm upset anytime Patrick Reed doesn't win. Um, oh my god! Wow, wow! Um, you're the you're I the mean, last
5: Patrick Reed guy. You're the only Patrick Reed
3: guy. I am the only Patrick Reed guy, um, <laughs> and that, that I'm a Patrick Reed guy because no one else is. I, 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 that, that's why I'm a Patrick Reed guy. But no, I was happy for him. He he had such a lead. Like Jeff was saying, like Jeff was saying it was boring. I mean, they said multiple times on the on the uh, broadcast today about how. Um, I think Rory was yesterday after his round said he's too many shots back. And and they made comments about how Brooks just looks almost uninterested just because of how far back they were. And, I mean, they were, what, they finished 10 under or something like that? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's incredible how well he played the entire weekend. So I just thought it was cool.
0: I have a theory, if I could jump in. I have a little bit of a theory. Uh, just It's not just what I was saying before in terms of his life coaches and the people who surrounded him. Sort of you know changing his ways he 's obviously got a couple of kids um and that to me is just one of those obviously just a, a sobering in this case, literally probably a yeah. uh, situation there, and it just reminds me of this uh this meme i saw the other day it was uh my parents at 21 hey hon let's have a baby me at 21 i'm gonna eat this pill i see on the floor <laughs> you know <laughs> like that's kind of the transition he had to make like i again i'm not gonna predict where he was what he was doing but like from going from you know from 60 to zero like pretty quickly yeah. and i guess the 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 one benefit of that is look what he has to gain from it. Oh, you know, improving his career and, you know, potentially going down as one of the best golfers ever. So uh, yeah, it's just, it's just funny to think about.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I I think just to kind of, you know, continue what a little bit of just being wowed by his play and just his consistency is, is it, he's such a unique player in that, um, if you go back and look at some of his old interviews where he talks about, look, I, I like to play fast, there's only two types of shots you can hit a a good one or a bad one. And, you know, so why wait around if you're going to hit a bad one? Uh, I think that um, he gets ripped sometimes and maybe y'all have covered this a little bit, but he gets, he gets ripped sometimes for being a boring sort of guy. But then you think about the context of golf and the management of emotions and some of the guys that were there theoretically in the running um you know i love justin thomas love watching justin thomas he's play got games. an
0: anger problem man
5: <laughs> He has an anger problem and, and you know what it's funny is if you watch him you know play a lot of times where it comes to kind of you know bite him a little bit is if, if he misses a putt or misses a shot that he'd like to make and he is still stewing over that miss when he goes and stands over the next shot and there are times where he'll he'll lift the next putt out or he'll hit, hit the, you know the second shot the follow up shot bad um That is not something you can afford to do if you're trying to contend in a major. And DJ just has a sort of blank slate, sort of even keel demeanor where um, of course he's physically gifted. Of course he can, you know, hit amazing shots on a golf course, but he also just is is geared in that sort of way. And I think in some ways, and I think they talked about this a little bit on the broadcast, he was helped by being in a final grouping um, with a guy like, and I know that it was a first masters for both Abraham answer and Sung J. M but it's pretty kind of chill, even keel sort of guys where, you know, the, the whole vibe of the group was, you know, just we're out here. It, it looks like we're playing a, a practice round, you know, but, but it's, it's Sunday at the masters. Um, and he, looked won- a little, he looked a little
0: bit, a little bit stirred right there when it got to like, was it one, one shot?
5: I think. Yes, for sure. I think he, he had a excited. little
0: bit of like a two or three hole uh, stretch or he was just didn't look as, as comfortable.
5: <laughs> he said it. I think he bogeyed four and five and he said he was feeling, he was feeling a little bit there. And yeah, then he yeah. birdied six, and that and was kind of a settler. But I, I think, in general, um, you know, and obviously, you know, he—I think he said after—he's I was feeling nerves the entire time, um, but just to have a demeanor where you're you're more likely to kind of lock back into a relaxed sort of mode and be able to kind of roll with it. Um, you know, I I, I think it ha- it has to help him, and I, and I think too, you know, they talked about it all week long on the broadcast whether or not it was a thing about, uh, you know, who is who is suffering the most from not having the crowds, probably a guy like Tiger where he kind of feeds off that energy and for a guy like dj that's going to be even keel no matter what he's he's played better than anybody during quarantine with no crowds and maybe that's something that benefits his style of game I, I don't know but that you know that's just kind of a theory a little bit
4: hey charlie if y'all don't mind i want to jump in because you brought up something that I, I thought was a really important part i to get y'all's take on this you know the fact that there were no crowds number one but the and you know, that comes into play not just from the emotion of it, but when you hit an errant shot and you set, hit something into the second cut, you got, you know, grass that hasn't been trampled on. You know, you, you have you know have probably a little bit more difficult time. The fact that there weren't as many TV cameras or there weren't some of the, the visual aids that they typically had, I'd compare it to the NBA when they were in the bubble and just on the same court. You know, they were able to lock in a little bit better. Do you think that helped the scores in general? Do you think it, it maybe not had any kind of impact at all?
5: Izzy, Do you have a thought, or you want me to? You want me to jump first? Go ahead, Charlie. I I think um, and and it's it's someone who is you, you. I've watched the tournament in the past, but you, you kind of take uh, the gallery for granted in a way where in, in watching the tournament this year, I'm not remembering exactly where where do they where do they keep the ropes on this hole? Like I, like you know, I think 15. I thought you know, and maybe this is just paying more attention to it than in past years. I think a lot of guys hit balls, you know, over the back of the green, went into the water. We saw that in all four rounds, um, and, and it was kind of funny. It's like, you know, it, 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 in past rounds was was that something where they had a more consistent sort of lie coming out of the rough, and in this round they're they're kind of maybe looking at should I club up here because the rough's thicker, but then actually they're getting maybe a flyer lie and they're they're hitting over the green the way they weren't expecting to. I think Rory hit it in the water, Justin Thomas hit in the water. Guys who, you know, usually in, in clutch situations, you expect to be able to kind of, you know, hit, hit hit a shot that's precise, you know, with water in the front and the back of the green. Um, I don't know exactly, but I, I think that um, you know, to a certain degree, it it's, you know, I, I think that in some places it, it is a visual aid, it is a visual guide where where if, if you're gonna if you're gonna miss in a certain area, having the crowd there kind of helps you kind of you know look at it in a certain type of way. Um but I, I I think it's 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 certainly fair to think about. But I guess you know then you go back to saying you know all these guys are playing under the same set of conditions. Um and, and so you know if one guy's hitting in the same sort of way, theoretically the next guy is going to have the same set of issues. So
0: I don't I don't know if there's an obvious answer. Um I think mm-hmm. it just depends. Um But I'll tell you the only time I actually thought about it uh, during the tournament was when, <laughs> when uh the, the king of the shanks John Ram John, John Rom hit that one off the, uh, off the hill there. And it went dead left. And I was assuming that if there was a gallery there, it probably would have like hit some people, right? Like they would have been like, Oh, having to dodge that one. And that probably would have saved him a little bit because that one ended up going, you know, behind the bush there. And then he hit it, you know, the double or the up one off the tree again. And so, um, that probably would have helped if there were people there for him. Um, but you know, not the transition, but, how the hell do you do that, man? How do you fall yes. off the water four times for a hole in fucking one? I'm sorry about cursing, and then and then you're the king of the shanks. Like you can't, like you you get the yips or something. Like I don't get that about it, him. Th- that's man,
2: why I love he him. This whole tournament off. That's why I love him because he does dumb crap that I would do, and then he gets as mad about it as I would get. And I'm like, yeah, that guy, I can relate to him. And well, he's kind of chunky we like could all me relate too. To Tiger today, then, right? Yeah. No, that's a fair point.
5: <laughs> I, I think I saw like a Jason Sobel tweet to that effect where it's like, there is there is not a better golfer who has more regular golfer moments than John Rahm. And I also that was one of the more amusing points of the tournament for me was uh, just after every single shot, he's like looking at his club, or he's looking at his lie, or he's looking back at his caddy, like well, that couldn't have been me like well, what what happened here you know it's like no buddy you just you're just the king of the shank for some odd I've been reason
0: my equipment for two I think years that now, so.
5: <laughs> one of the things that i was
6: most impressed with as far as i mean obviously he set some huge records today and you know i guess just he's been on a tear so really him winning it today aside from the fact that he hasn't won it before was shouldn't be that surprising number one golfer in the world. But I thought he showed a lot of restraint down the stretch. DJ did. Um, he didn't get too aggressive. I think a lot of guys, they get in that position. I think about speed a couple years ago where they just get too crazy, but he was, you know, he, it felt like he was just mostly just hitting it to like 20 feet and then two putting it two put parring it down the stretch and, it was kind of a, I mean, it's you know, kind of
0: easy when you can just flick it, you know, three hundred and twenty comfortably, and like you know, avoid all the uh, <laughs> all the hazards, and it seems like it's an easy shot because it is for him, and that is sort of him not trying to do too much, and so um, I guess it's the anti, you know, the Shambo theory is like, oh gosh, trying to do way too much, and you can't do that, and so um, I think where DJ, from what I've noticed during, and they talked about it during uh, the Masters this week, but. Um, it'd been pretty obvious the whole time that he is, you know, doing his normal routine, quick play, uh, you know, uh driving the ball in on the fairway and stuff. But on the greens, he's just taking his time and he's just uh very, very thorough with his reading of the putts. And I think that just kind of speaks to I think a more determined or focused game and um and just approach to it. And I think um hopefully like that continues and and like I said you see like three or four years of this of like him winning one or two majors and stuff because I think it'd be a shame I've always felt like he had you know been leaving some wins out on the table
5: I, I think the one thing that DJ just in watching specifically this season that he maybe does not get enough credit for because everyone knows he's long uh is his ability to recover when, when he, you know he's expecting to hit a cut on on a lot of his drives and when he gets into trouble and I noticed this um at the tour championship at, at, at Eastlake where he ended up winning. Uh, and then even a tournament before that, John Rahm ended up winning in playoff holes where he made like that crazy long putt right on top of DJ's long putt. <laughs> yeah, that was a great one. Uh, just in that he, he has this sort of ability to, even even if he gets himself in trouble off the tee, um, you'll kind of make it work with that second shot or, or even, you know, today where a lot of guys like Sung like Sungjae Im literally could hit a ball in between 15 feet the entire day long. It was just struggling with you know if he gets a ball beneath his feet or above his feet or something like that, kind of you know pulling balls to the left a little bit on the green. Whereas DJ was just so automatic with his approach shots, and and I think that you know that that really is you can hit the ball as long as you want, you can be as good as putters you want. You know obviously you can make up some strokes around the green if you're if you're good with your short game. But if, if you if you hit your approach shots well, if you hit your irons well, that's where it was
0: obvious the guys that were chasing him they just couldn't close that gap because they weren't getting those approach shots anywhere near there.
5: And it was and Sungjae was great with with his kind of wedges around the green, but it's like if DJ is going to stick it within fifty feet every single time and give himself a reasonable chance mm-hmm. to make birdie, it's just a numbers game. At a certain point, you can't you you're gonna you're gonna fall behind and not be able to make up the distance. So I I really give him a ton of credit with that specific aspect of his game that you know I guess maybe some people you know noticed that have seen that over years, but just to me that stood out really just over the course of the season.
1: Well, and especially kind of how he played um, thirteen and fifteen uh in on sunday's round um you know he had a chance to go for the green into on thirteen, laid up to you know a wedge, stuck it to ten feet, made his birdie same thing with uh with fifteen uh where sung j m went over the back of the green almost into the pond and made that ridiculous chip through the trees, hits the fringe, and trickles just by the hole what three or four feet, you know. That that kind of made the difference, I think, going down the stretch. Um, but that that's what happens when you have that kind of course management uh, mentality that uh, DJ had down the stretch, which is something that Bryson I think is missing from his game right now. Yeah, you can hit it four football fields like he did on what was it thirteen on in Saturday's round. I think it was like three eighty one off the tee. Um, but if you're hitting it into the trees.
0: On 16 of you know 18 holes, it's not really going to help you out, yeah. Well, more on I mean, Bryson, I, I didn't mean to call Bryson a moron. Um, <laughs> I think, I think, uh, to further that point, just in terms of the focus and everything else, or being locked in, like I remember, uh, when Nick Faldo just said, uh, he hit this one terrible, um, I think it was a sand shot, anyway, some chip, and um, and he's like, oh, his head's just not in it. And then um, he basically admitted as much after the after the round, uh, Bryson, he said, yeah, I just there was, I just wasn't really paying attention and making some silly mistakes. And it's just like, what does that say about you? You know, you've been working your ass off. You just come off a major and all of a sudden it's just like, oh, yeah, uh, i just not really as focused as I should be. Like, that's kind of disappointing. And, you know, maybe he did. You know, he said he wasn't feeling great or whatever, but maybe he did have something wrong with him. But that's pretty disappointing.
4: Well, you know, leading into the week, you know, Golf Channel, there were were a lot of people that were talking about how he was going to, you know, rewriting golf because of all the length and these courses were going to be obsolete and people were going to learn this. I was thinking about, again, getting back to there not being spectators there, I was thinking about the future of spectating golf because if you're 400 yards, you know, down the fairway and in the woods somewhere, you got to figure you're kind of safe and you are for everybody else but him. But where he was launching some of those things, I mean, there was no safe place. It had been like, being in Beirut, I mean, it just firing stuff left and right.
5: Well, and I think really with a lot of this stuff it is, and, and whether it's tough for me to to say definitively what Bryson's issues are because this nobody thinks more about Bryson's game than Bryson does, and I think and I think a lot of people rip on that, but I was legitimately rooting for him this entire week because I think that's a cool thing. It's such a different type of, of playing the game that you want to encourage all sorts of approaches, but I think that you get to a certain point where. It's it's just it's an overload of information. You're thinking about the theoretical of how I could play this course. When, to your point, just a few a few seconds ago, when you're talking about the way DJ played 13 and 15, it's like sometimes you can just lay up and give yourself an easy wedge shot in, and just you know bank on that type of shot, and that's the best way to score. Instead of saying, well, you know, without spectators on 13, I could hit it into 14 fairway and have it come back. It's like you know, it's it's good to have the length. You know, you can give yourself a lot of advantages that way. But I think that you know. And I think Nick Valdo said this too on the broadcast where you're spending all this time leading up to the, to the turn, to, to the masters, not playing tournaments, experimenting with 46 inch drivers, and doing all at a certain point, you just want to say, okay, this is what my equipment setup is going to be. This is the way I'm going to try to play the course. I'm done experimenting and I'm going to focus. He's good on-
0: enough. He can simplify. Like Absolutely. he can just not have to do all of this and then try to change the game forever. Like how about you just become a consistent winner first and then say, all right, now I'm going to, you know, make my mark. I I wonder with him sometimes if that's what it is, if he's just trying to to force feed it and fast track Mm -hmm. it. Or I just think he's there's something awkward about him uh, socially. And I don't know if like, you know, maybe he doesn't uh, get the right advice or whatever. But I definitely know he's having way too many protein shakes because like (laughs) the amount of working out and like the it does not like that many shakes he should be like hulky at at this point and you
2: know he's not really- So I, I have a slightly different uh, take on it than you guys and I, I believe it was Gojo that tweeted this the other day which was just every one of my vertebrae hurts when I watch him swing like Good god, like it just looks like he's going to explode every time he does. Every time he tees off, man, I'm just like I know you're big and jacked, but dial it back a little, bro. I mean,
0: those are that's the the long drive competition. Yeah. It's just watching that over and over again, but you know, he's just a little bit more accurate.
5: <laughs> well, and also like I I actually, you know, it, it looks violent and he's not going to be able to swing like that forever without a doubt. But actually, I don't question him necessarily on the biomechanical stuff because nobody has spent more time analyzing that than him. And and I think that there is some sort of it, it makes sense when you think about you know the way he's kind of turning through the ball and, and he's keeping the the arm stiff because I heard I, I saw watched a little video where he was talking through the swing where he really he watched a lot of really good ball strikers and he kind of figured out that if he keeps that left arm locked and the the, the left elbow faced at the target at impact that he he could never lose the ball left. So, you know, it's like, okay, I I buy that theoretically. I also buy the fact that when he turns through, he's clearing the hips in in a way where he, you know, then if you don't clear your hips and you keep that arm locked, you're going to lose the ball, right? So I buy all the biomechanics together, but then think about that practically going out and playing the most important major of the year and all those things going through your head. And I got to keep this at this position and this at this position, I got to do all this. And it's like, inevitably, and that's why I thought it was funny when he was talking about, being dizzy and i don't know how much of that was you know you know i I drank a bad protein (laughs) shaker this and that when literally just the stress of thinking about all these things going on i i you know i would not be shocked if that's you know what the case was because it's just like it's one thing to go out and do that on the track man when all you got got all your guys from cobra and puma around you and you're they're hyping you up it's another thing to go and play augusta and, and go do that and i just think that that's that's kind of you know what his downfall was
1: he needed Cheech Marin from uh, Tin Cup to tell him put a change in his front left pocket. That's all he needed.
0: I keep picturing a uh, Forrest Gump. I'm dizzy. <laughs> Bryson's
1: T to green
6: stats are are unreal, right? So like, and I think about Dustin's game where he, if you think about DJ, he didn't really learn how to putt or chip till he was like 30, right? So maybe Bryson could come into his home a little later in that regard as well and kind of put it all together. But right now, he's got the, the crazy, happy Gilmore thing going on.
3: Yeah, Bryson – so I, I I tend to uh, subscribe to the same school of thought as Bryson where it's uh, grip it and rip it. Obviously, um, mine is simply because I'm I mean, going to have a good shot or a bad shot. I might as well try to make it as long as possible. Um, but he reminds me a lot, like when he plays in like these – like, today, like uh, this weekend – Mind me a lot, like when I play with my granddad. Like I can outdrive my granddad. He's seventy-five. I outdrive him by a hundred yards off the tee every time, and he beats me by ten strokes. Just because he's simple and and accurate, and he knows where his ball's going. And I walk up to the ball, and my thought is, I'm gonna let this puppy go, and I don't know where it's going. And that's and 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 I overthink things too. Obviously, my overthinking is just don't mess up. His is all. I, I picture him like uh, what's that movie where? uh, beautiful minds like yes. all these things going on in his head all the time and with, with golf like we were talking about with with dj earlier it's the less things you can have going through your head when you step up to the ball i mean i'm not a, I, I, I'm, I'm by no means some sort of great golfer but the less things you can have going through your mind when you step up to the ball the much better chance you have of being successful when you hit the ball i mean it's it's it sounds simple but it's it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's really yeah. not. Yeah. Tin so Tin
1: Cup kind of reminds me, um, you know, Roy McAvoy, uh, but going back to Tin Cup, what names out there, you know, famous names in sports or, or celebrities connote golf? Like Cooper Cup. <laughs> Is his quarterback too obvious? Is Jared Goff too?
3: <laughs> Chipper <laughs> Jones. Perfect. Yeah, wow. Sandy Koufax. Ooh. Blubber Lang.
1: <laughs> uh Tiger Woods. T <laughs> <King> Marty. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Irons.
6: Donald Driver. Perfect. Donald Driver. There you go.
1: Adam Driver. Well, I guess I guess the driver category is closed.
6: <laughs> Mini driver? Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs>
4: mean Joe Green.
1: Ooh. There you go, Mayor. Hey, for
5: all the for all the, for all the Star Wars nerds out there, uh, Wedge Antilles—that how you say his last name? The guy that drove the uh, on Hoff? Yeah, there, there you go. go. Yeah, there we go. We got sports. Yeah, oh, I like
2: yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, oh, uh, did we get did we get a uh, Lady Bird Johnson in yet?
1: Oh, we did not. Lady
2: Bird Johnson, former first lady, and Hank Hill's dog.
1: I am eagle ah,
2: Johnson, but yeah. Oh, good,
5: yeah, good. Iron Eagle.
1: Yeah, the Iron Eagle.
5: Oh. Um, Bald, Bald, Bald Eagles. That's Eagles. Really. Bald Eagles. <laughs> Apple <laughs> pie. Jeff, shut up.
4: Original Tonight Show uh, uh, host, Jack Parr.
1: Oh, there you go. That's a great one.
2: Um, yeah. Did we get Cooper Cup?
1: We
4: did. Yeah, right at, right at the top.
0: Keep
1: up, bad. Sorry.
4: History, outfielder Darren Ruff. That's a great one.
0: Can we just go to unfortunate golf names and I'm going with Patrick Cantley?
2: Oh, oh I mean, yes. That's yes. rough. It's been
0: rough for him going through high school.
2: Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. poor guy. That's a good pull, Izzy.
0: <laughs> wow. All right.
1: Um, you transition.
6: Fun? Archie Bunker. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i feel like there was someone named shanks was there someone named shanks shanks
5: i think he was like the president of fox sports one maybe eric shanks yeah eric that's shanks a deep that's right. insider cut, that's, yeah. that's oh, a cut only you would know that charlie <laughs> yeah. if you read your sports business journal then that's that's for you i know i know there's like three listeners out there that got that one
2: uh that's good stuff I, we're all just like Googling names probably right now, right? <laughs>
5: well, Aaron, uh,
1: you brought this up in our in our group chat earlier. Um, what was uh, your favorite master's memory or what was your first master's memory? Aaron, I'll actually throw it to you
3: there. Okay, yeah. So my first master's memory, so I don't know if any of you ever had to go to like little kids swim meets when you were younger, like you oh, yeah. siblings that swam, they were awful. So my sister was on a swim team. I was two years younger. So I would say I was probably like, Five or six, something like that, and I just remember for like an hour and a half in the middle of the day, my dad had disappeared. I mean, like nobody knew where. Well, my mom, I didn't know where he was, and all of a sudden, I just asked my mom I'm like, "Where's Dad?" And we were at this like a uh, big indoor. It was a pool, big basketball gym, just at <laughs> a, a big complex, and she was like, "He's in the he's in the workout room," and my dad doesn't work out. Um, so I thought that was strange. So I wandered in there and I want to say there's probably like 30 to 40 uh, workout bikes and they are chalked full with dads watching the masters. And I wandered through and after about, after about 34 seconds about my dad and I just sat on the, in front of the workout bike and watched the masters with him. And that was the first and every masters that comes around. That's the first thing I think about is just sitting in that smelly, uh, workout room with 30 to 40 dads watching the masters on workout bikes. (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. Charlie, what about you?
5: Uh, I mean, this is probably not, I mean, you might have a few people in this group to say this, but I I, I don't, I mean, I guess I would have been about, no, I would have been 10 at the time, but I mean, you know, tiger hugging Earl coming off the green. Like I, I Mm -hmm. just, I think that that was, um, I'm sure I'd watched masters, same sort of thing as Aaron, just, you know, them them being on in the house with my dad before, but I remember watching, um, a fair, you know, a a good portion of that tournament. And I remember my dad specifically being like, Hey, like, come like, watch this. You're going to want to see this. You're going to want to remember this. Uh, and yeah, just, just watching bits and pieces of that final round. And then just that hug, um, which is what, I mean, last year, the hug with his son, Charlie was just so cool. The, the symmetry of that moment was amazing um but yeah that was just like i can just remember exactly being in our living room with my dad watching that you know like a double sort of dad moment you know being emotional in that sort of way but that was that was the first kind of vivid one that i remember
6: i would have to say that it was tiger's chip on 16 in 2005. i was actually in disney world at the time at the espn zone mm. and uh not there to watch the Masters, but it was on. Everybody was dead quiet watching this thing happen. I just remember just like – and then the ball just stops like right at the cup and then just decides, no, I'm good. I'm going in. And just Vern Lundquist like, have you ever seen anything
4: like that? And you're
6: like, oh, dude, I, I that place freaked out and was going crazy like someone had just won the Super Bowl on a
5: Hail Mary. Like it was electric. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Real shame they shut down the ESPN zones. Those were a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, we used to, to shoot the day. um the sports reporters from the ESPN zone in New York and then they moved it to Bristol. And then we had to fly to Bristol instead of spending a Friday night in or Saturday night in New York. You spend a Saturday night in good old Bristol. Um I, I don't know it's not my favorite um master's memory, but my first is uh Is what, and I think a lot of people could probably say that the Masters got them into golf, but the 92 Masters, as I show my age, uh, Freddie Couples winning that one was, um, it's what got me into golf, period. And I don't know what it was about it. Maybe it's because they called him Boom Boom or whatever, but I liked Freddie Couples and I liked to see him win. And so that's the first time, like, I was like, okay, I like this guy. Let me watch this tournament and he won the thing and i'm like god this sport is great like my favorite my favorite golfer just won so uh so that was what got me into it and i think all the tiger stuff are crazy memorable there's a lot of like memorable moments like the adam scott in the rain after he won mm-hmm. that was just a good visual it just kind of sits there with you <clears throat> mayor what about yourself
4: uh yeah thanks the uh i'll tell you the the think that the chip – I mean, that's they made a TV commercial out of it. So that, as far as great moments I, – I tell you, one of the things that came up that reminded me was the Bubba Watson victory. Not so much the victory, but the little – the video piece that they did before they handed out the green jacket and his line when he says, I've never gotten this far in my dreams, you know, the talking part. That that one – that kind of hit me today. I, re, I remember that. But my first uh, memory would, would be – talking about showing age would be the Jack Nicholas back in, in 1986 when he won and just going, man, this guy is old. He was 46 years old and I'm I'm six years older than that now. So it's like, man, this guy is old and he won. Uh, that, that was really one of the first, like really more indelible moments of the masters that really kind of hooked me into it.
1: Jeff, what about yourself?
2: Um, well, I got a couple of things. Um, first off, Izzy, Freddy's my guy. I love Freddy Couples. He has been forever. My two favorite golfers ever, Freddy Couples and uh, Miguel Angel Jimenez because of the dancing and the little, like, sword thing. Um, Wait, but, that was Chi-Chi, no? No, that's it's Miguel Angel.
1: No, Chi-Chi I think I think I think it does, does do, a sword thing.
2: But Chi-Chi
5: Miguel does, does a little sword. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well,
2: maybe they both do. Um, Miguel either way, Angel
5: Jimenez hits four irons out of the trap. I yeah, see that on yeah. that's amazing
2: and and he does a little cha-cha and like he, i yeah. love him Rope but um, all
1: the way down the fairway too
2: yeah um actually that was the last that was the last public event i went to before like the covid lockdown stuff and out in california was a uh, the Hogue classic which is like a seniors tournament and it was miguel was there and freddie was there and uh all the old guys were there and it was just a good old time, man. But um, the, actually the thing that struck me about the masters. So this is kind of weird. It's, I guess it's not directly masters related, but hearing SVP talk about it and talk about being the guy who was there. Charlie, to your point, you know, you're talking about how 97 as compared to last year and it was, tiger hugging his dad versus tiger hugging his kids sort of situation. And SVP was there on both occasions. And, you know, I don't know if you guys ever listened to his pod or anything, but he's talked about how that, he actually recently talked about how that relationships kind of developed and just listening to him talk about like that passage of time for tiger and what that means in the grand scope of the game. And also the stuff that tiger went through, obviously, and and listening to Scott talk about it gives me like such a sense of perspective on it, I guess. Um, so I've really appreciated listening to him lately because he he he, he encapsulates it all very well, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, man. I, I love just hearing SVP talk. Um, so my favorite memory uh, is Tiger's win from last year. Uh, Charlie, you touched on that. Just uh, you know, h- hugging hugging his son. Um, you know I. I became a, a father last year, so you know, having you know that thought in my mind of you know just that kind of fatherly bond with with my child, just uh, oh, it it tugged on some on some heartstrings there. Um, and mayor, you kind of touched on something not necessarily masters related for me, um, but watching Jack. So what I remember specifically about golf. When I was uh, a young child, is watching the Skins game, always around this time of year, um, and I was really, really happy to have the Masters around this time of year because it made me think about times with with my grandfather. So that really, really kind of uh, hit home for me. Here, um, we're going to wrap up here in just a couple of minutes. I just want to kind of go um, as Izzy knows around the horn uh, about uh, you know kind of final thoughts here, uh, parting shots and maybe a prediction for the next Masters, which is in about 140 days. Um, you know, Aaron, we'll, we'll go ahead and start with you.
3: I'm muted. All right. Uh, sorry. That's a fine. Um, anyway, so I, I'm going to start off with my prediction as being that uh, Patrick Reed gets green jacket number two. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, I'm. if I was going to put money on it today, I'd honestly say i expect dj to to win i mean i know that's an easy answer especially right now but like i said earlier the past few years every tournament he's been the best golfer until except for four weekends a year on sunday um but i don't know i mean the masters does weird things that's why the masters is cool the masters you don't it's not like you just expect the number one golfer coming in to win it every year. That's, that's one of the things that makes it so much fun is you get a, I know I've joked about it, but you get a guy like Patrick Reed who no one expects to win. You get, I mean, Bubba Watson's been good, but Bubba Watson's by no means some generational golfer and, and he gets to, and he, and he's won it. And, and that's just why it's cool to me. I mean, you get those moments, you get the tiger moments, you get, um, just the, the electric, the fun, the you, people crashing and burning. I mean, I know that that sounds bad to say it's fun to watch, but it's exciting. And that's why, I mean, that's just why it's so fun. But yeah, if I was going to put money on it, I'd put it on DJ to win again. Anybody, anybody but Rory or Ricky Fowler? I mean, really. <laughs>
6: I was, He's in an interesting spot. Oops, sorry. I'm going to step below you there, Jen. Nope.
1: Just straight go ahead.
6: No, I just think DJ, he's in an interesting spot. Obviously this being hopefully the only uh, Masters that's played in the fall. And you've got another one coming up relatively pretty quick in a couple months. You look at, but you look at DJ stretch over the last, you know, a little more than two years. So since January of 2018, he's won eight tournaments, seven of those he's won by at least three shots. So nobody bludgeons the field like that guy, um, (laughs) especially when he's, when he's on it. So you probably, I mean, him, He's probably going to be a betting favorite when the odds come out. I like my guy Tony Finau though. I want him to win a major sometime soon. That's who I'm banking on. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Tony Finau,
1: Masters champ, 2020. That's a solid pick. I like Tony. Jeff.
2: Okay, so first off, let's just be clear about something. Aaron only mentioned Ricky Fowler to piss me off um, because uh, you know you did. Don't give me that face.
3: I love. No. I, I actually genuinely root for Patrick Reed. Oh, Ricky yeah. Fowler. I was not I said Ricky Fowler. Sorry. Yes, Ricky. Um, Fowler. No, Ricky Fowler. Ricky Fowler's outfits bother me every time he steps on the yes, course, and I, I cannot I, I, root I, for that.
2: I know you do. I know. I know. But that being said, I will continue to pick him over and over again until he wins a damn major. I don't care. I'm just rolling with it. I like how he puts too much, and. I don't mind his flat bills, even though they're frequently a terrible color. Um that being said, the the right choice is probably DJ. But um yep, that's all my contribution, I guess. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Jeff, thank you. Uh Charlie. Uh guys, I have a confession to make. I love Sung J M. I love Sung Ooh. J M. I love everything about his game, I love his demeanor. I I thought, you know, for his for his first Masters, the guy's 22 years old. Um, I think that, you know, the, the way he, to, to me, like, it's stunning to me that he missed seemingly like half the greens just based on the eye test and still went 15 under for the tournament. Um, so I feel like, so this is a little bit of like parting thoughts on this. Masters was amazingly impressed with that. The only, I mean, DJ was in a different strategy, right? And then you look at the two guys who would have won in any other normal year. And one of them is, Cam Smith, who shot every round under 70, which has never been done before in the Masters. And then the other guy, Sung Jay Uh, so I I, I love I love Sung demeanor. I, I love he's sort of kind of like he's chill, he's happy, go lucky, he's all the things I like in human, you know, personality traits. So um, I'm just gonna go out on a limb. I think Sung is gonna have what it takes to get it done next April. And so here here we go, Sung Jay. Yeah, he does have the that. slowest
1: backswing ever. I was Jeff uh Aaron, I was really just gonna say that. That slow takeaway from a dress is just ridiculous. That is buttery smooth.
5: And and just watch like I I'm gonna do the dumb golfer brain thing where I'm now gonna take that. I'm playing on Tuesday, and I'm obviously gonna try to imitate that when I play on Tuesday. And it's gonna it's gonna go terribly for me, but you know, you gotta try it, right? But that timing though, that's nasty. I love it. So I hate it. I
0: can't tell if it's in oh. slow motion or not. It's it's like I'm watching. It's like is this a slow mo replay? Oh no, this is live. I can't tell. Um, I I really like Colin Morikawa, and I don't know if he's going to make a like an even bigger le- leap next year. But I will say, you know, with dust with DJ, I think you know as you I forget who mentioned it, um, but. You know he's a front runner guy. He he he, blow, he either blows your way or he finishes second. That's kind of his two things, right? And so um, I think if somebody challenges him, they've got to play obviously as well as he's playing. And I think the guy that's capable of it is the guy that I was saying like during the first two rounds of this Masters, I kept saying to myself we're all going to look stupid for not predicting this run that Justin Thomas is going to go on because he's just like, he can be so damn good. And so if he just calms down a little bit, then he might go on the type of run where you're just like, wow, he's right there with DJ when he's playing his best. So either one of them can win it. So that's, that's my only other guy I'd throw in the mix there.
1: Mayor.
4: All right. Well, I'm going to go with, with a name that Izzy brought up earlier. It is Patrick Cantlay. And Xander Shoffley, I think they both—they're both, they're both good enough ball strikers. They, I think, a little bit more Masters experience. They'll take what they had. I think they both finished about two under, and I think they'll take the experience from being uh, out there this time around. And again, a short turnaround, but hopefully in the spring when they play it again, would be uh, would be my choice. My my other takeaway would be this: um, you know, if you're if you're some J. M's translator. Uh, I think what you do is you take the video afterwards and you you like splice out some JM and you go out to show you know women that you might want to meet and say, Hey, look, this is me. Look at this video. Because he's he was talking with all this confidence about what he did when he was translating. And the whole time I'm going, man, if you're the translator, you're just taking that video of you going, Yeah, well, you know, on, I was really honored. I just wanted to make the cut. And I just thought I just think that'd be the greatest thing you can do. It's like, you're not some JM. Absolutely. Look, watch this video. Here I am being interviewed after the masters.
5: It's so funny you bring that up because I always wonder, you know, like it, it seems like the length of some J M's answers were a lot longer than what the translator said. And I wonder what's getting lost there. You know, like I, I feel, I, I kind of feel for guys like that where it's like, he probably has this great personality in Korean and all we get is the, the, the dumbed down, you know, English. I don't know how you're version. supposed
0: to answer questions when it's through a translator. Cause if you give a long, thorough answer, it's not like dudes taking notes and going to like, you know, he's just going right. to give you a shorthand, some sort of paraphrase answer. I, I think it's, yeah.
5: We need to well, do, do better with think, that. We need to do you know better thing, with I think that. He
4: probably knows, he probably knows English well enough to understand the question, but also wants the convenience. He's talking for a national audience. I'm not faulting him mm-hmm. for that at all. Goodness knows, his English is much better than my Korean, probably. Uh, but the, you know, with the fact of the matter, it, it seemed to me, I, I saw it the other way. I thought the questions were longer than it took the translator to say them in Korean. And so I, it might be a language thing where it's a little bit more succinct than, than we are in, in the English language.
2: Yeah, that makes don't, sense. Don't downplay your Korean abilities like that, Mayor. I'm <laughs> sure they're very strong.
4: <laughs> if he knows how to say hello, he has got he knows more English than I do Korean.
1: Anyang, that's about it. That's all I got. Annyeong. Um that that's a little uh, arrested development cut there. Um so parting takeaway for uh, for me here, Stu kind of touched on this uh Stu got touched on this on Thursday show. He said a guy like Lee Westwood or Paul Casey is always making that that run there on Thursday. The guy that I missed this week was Old Green Gloves himself, Charlie Hoffman. I mean, And I I miss that guy, you know, being first or second on the leaderboard on Friday or Thursday and Friday and then disappear. See ya. I miss that guy. Um, But uh, prediction for the 2021 Masters, you know, I'm going to go out on a a very, very big limb here. Tiger Woods. Every single year, Tiger Woods. Give me Tiger every single year until he retires. It's always going to be Tiger for me. That's it. That's all. Um, guys, thank you so much for uh, for joining us tonight. Um, man, uh, Mayor, uh, Aaron, Izzy, Charlie, Jeff, Streeter, thanks a lot. Um, y'all have a great night, and uh, we will talk to you later. You too. See you guys.
2: Thanks Bye. a lot, guys. Appreciate Bye. it. See you guys. Absolutely.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Lauer After Hours. You can always reach us on Twitter at Lauer After Hours or Instagram at Lauer After Hours. We're available wherever you get podcasts, so don't forget to download, subscribe, review, and rate five
0: stars. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler,
5: and Thomas Hearns.